Um, Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I wish I could have. I wish I could have been at the show, but can't be at the show. But it's great to be able to talk to you, the writer, and and kind of pick your mind about this. I'm excited. I'm excited. I was excited that. to hear this stuff. This the creative process. It's always exciting to me. Hello, I'm Patrick Chavis, and you are listening to LA Theater Bites podcast, and I am here with the writer of White People Drinking. It's playing now at the Three Clubs off of Santa Monica Boulevard. It is there because of the Hollywood Fringe 2018. And like I said, the show is called White People Drinking. What an interesting title. Like, grabs you, the title grabs you right away, and you're like, what is that? So basically, um, I'm just going to read off the plot. The plot is the plot. A bored billionaire and his wife hold a charade of a dinner party. When their guests arrive, they take their coat and strip away societal constructs. What remains is all too human. So there's a lot of, with that plot, I mean, it's very abstract. You're talking about societal constructs. You're talking about a lot of deep stuff. Um, give me a little bit more insight into into that that plot line. You know, what what... what what does that mean? What what exactly is going on in this dinner this uh, dinner party, and why would they want to create all of this tension? Who enjoys that? <laughs> awesome. No, I, I love that question. I really I get a lot of it from where I grew up um, because a lot of the plays that I was introduced to early on were Tennessee Williams, um, August Osage County, some of the classics, and I remember being at a show saying man, some of these shows are, are just white people drinking, you know, and then they, they drink and they start yelling. And so that even a couple of years, a long, long time ago, was like the basis for just that title and basis for that concept of why is this theater medium always sort of relying on alcohol or relying on anger or relying on these storylines that take place behind, in a sense, a picket white fence. And what, what really struck me about the four billionaires tagline was because there's something fascinating, more fascinating about people who have worked their whole lives, they have all this money, they don't have much to do, and so what's happening underneath? What really, really gets them going? What do they enjoy? What do they embrace? And my upbringing led me to start to see how people were hiding behind their societal constructs. They hid behind their wealth, behind their profession, behind their status within the community, and and it led to a lot of these kind of backhand comments at parties or it led to showing off in a lot of ways that just were so ingenuine and it created these tiny bubbles that just always felt isolated, especially for, for someone like me who always wanted to have conversations about, I don't know, how people felt or wanted to have conversations about things other than than the things that would lead to putting somebody down or making somebody feel less based off of wealth, race, culture, religion, all of that stuff. So what's interesting about what you said there is you said a lot of times they'll use their wealth and stuff to hide behind this stuff. But in your story, they're actually inviting people in and not hiding with their wealth, right? It sounds like they're they're bored and they're bringing these people in and they're not hiding. They're like, here we are, or am I wrong about this? No, no, exactly. In this story, they're using their wealth to shepherd in new I would say, victims in a sense. So they use their wealth and their status to give this allure to young, excited artists, younger people who have grown up in a society where having money and getting ahead and being powerful is the goal. And because these two billionaires know that about society in this generation, especially in in the Western culture, they abuse that. 
And within that narrative, they try to show these couples in their own artistic way how fake it is, how fake this mentality of wealth is and, and what that really gets you and what, if that lasts. Both of these relationships are are on a hinge. They're hinging and they're flipping back and forth and they pick certain couples that they feel like they can break the hinge for the better. They think that they're doing these couples a service and they think that they're doing all of the people that they invite a service by breaking down the reality and how the reality is that it sometimes doesn't matter how hard you work. It sometimes won't matter what your degree is. It sometimes won't matter your upbringing. Sometimes life is just what it is and you have to accept it. Are there, uh, as far as um, when, what was the spark off point that really got you um, to write, to, to decide to write something like this, or was it just random and you were like, I'm inspired by this idea and I'm going through it. How, what was the process? How did that kind of come together? You know, I, I moved out to Los Angeles um, partially because I just wanted to be in this atmosphere and be in this world and be around artists. I didn't realize though, until I started to meet some really strong artists and strong communities of theater that I realized that it wasn't that I was wrong for wanting to have certain conversations. It was where I came from wasn't wasn't allowing those conversations to happen. So mm. as I started as I started to realize that I wasn't wrong for the way I felt about things and I wasn't wrong for the things I wanted to talk about, I started to write this as kind of a a anti upbringing in a way to sort of say, you know what? If people aren't going to have these conversations, if the people I care about most, if family or if relatives, if these people don't want to have these conversations at parties, I'm going to write out all these conversations. I'm going to write out all the things that they say when no one else is there. I'm going to write out all these things that I feel that people are really, really against talking about. And so that became a series of monologues and it became a series of characters. And then politically, the world started shifting to really become way more open to the conversations because it was way more important that those conversations happen because something that happened politically was people stopped having conversations and people started to think that they could just not talk about those things or it wasn't wasn't kosher to have those conversations at parties or you didn't talk to your friends about political beliefs and I wanted to really write a show that said no talk to your best friends about how you feel, talk to your family about where you come from, talk about it, get it all out there, be honest, because then you grow from there. But if we keep building upon these facades, keep building upon these archetypes, and we really never even know who we are. And we also look around, you know, we get to a certain age and we open our eyes and go, oh, wow, I don't necessarily know, or I don't have control over it because I haven't been honest with myself. That's so interesting that you that you creating a play like this um, that it's and it, uh, and um, that it's it's definitely especially that it's coming out in this time and it's a play about speaking your mind and being honest and upfront about that stuff because a lot of that is coming is coming out in the media and a lot and outs uh, you know in other places and and the, and there's this concept and uh, of like. It's, and I especially see it in like conservative circles where the there's conservative circles saying we are saying we are being more open and speaking more open and um, more liberals or left or left or right, whatever you want to call it, are are trying to stop people from talking and speaking out and saying more things and limiting speech and stuff like that. Right. But 
in my experience, um, and not necessarily is theater liberal. A lot of times theater can be liberal, can be conservative, it can be left or right. Um, but stereotypically, theater is liberal, stereotypically. And right. me me watching so many uh, plays, you, you can watch some plays where you definitely see a liberal bend, but I think I've often seen plenty of plays, plenty of plays over over the years where they uh, they test people's beliefs no matter who you are, no matter what you're doing mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I think it's a very important thing to start uh, seeing more and more plays that are talking about, that are are kind of like destroying this myth that people are just one-sided thinking that if, that if someone subscribes to maybe a few more left ideologies than right ideologies that they that um that they have no mind of their own and and they're not a full person and can't fully um kind of make up their own mind i think i think that is really is kind of a a silly thing but it's like it's real like i can't yeah. not like Turn on the internet or watch TV or anything without seeing this kind of this kind of bend back and forth, um, exactly. and it's so much deeper than that. Um, yeah, people do. I think people do yeah. need to talk. I think people do need to talk. It's interesting, and, um, and that that's kind of what you're talking about in this kind of play. People are are starting to open up what they really believe. Maybe. It, no, no, one hundred percent, and you hit it on the head because. We feel, and we've been, I think, catered to dividing. We've been catered to, well, you either have this opinion or you don't. And I was like, that's that's a very dangerous territory to get into. Whenever you separate in this tribal mentality where you're wrong because you think differently, whenever we start separating more that way, it stops being even about politics. It just starts being about your passion and your anger and, and this filter of what you believe. So I wanted to write a show that said black, white, Christian, Jewish, whatever, we're all human. We have human issues that all these characters end up unraveling into their human issues, whether it be money, status, wealth, religion, sex, orientation. If we all see everybody as human and we learn about their human flaws and we learn what's behind their decisions and what's behind their political beliefs, that opens the dialogue. And that's so much more healthy than you're wrong because you're Republican or you're wrong because liberal. Because what we're seeing is that doesn't work. And it's never going to work. And it's so easy to to force. It's so easy to just make people angry about something. Or it's so easy to go, oh, this person doesn't agree with me, so everyone else on this side does. I'm going to jump with them. It's no. Learn more about the people who you disagree with most. Learn more about the people who you feel least comfortable with. Because then your narrative and then your ideas and your opinions come from a far more grounded place. And what I hope after this show people have somewhat of a cathartic experience where they go, okay, they said some things I wouldn't have said, but they said it, I heard it, I heard the reaction. Now it's a little more comfortable for me to get into these conversations because for me, whenever I see people engage in something like a a basketball game or a football game on TV, I kind of want to play. Or if I see like an Avengers movie, I'm like, I want to go out and work out or something. So (laughs) they see this play and they see these conversations and they see that some audiences are laughing or some audiences are reacting it, it kind of just gives them a space to to watch it and then go at the end of the day, you're going to be okay. You know, it's not going to completely tear apart everything if you're able to have those conversations. Right. Um, is is this your first fringe? And if it if it isn't your first fringe, um, if well, if it is your first fringe, um, how did you find out about it? And why did you think the fringe was the right venue for, for this play? 
Oh, nice question. I, well, I did Fringe first about three years ago. We did Snartier's In, which was a, um, a parody musical of Les Mis. That was another company. Then the year after that, I did a musical, Broadway Noir, which was a nice Hollywood swing on the whole uh, L.A. Noir feel. We took a year off. Um, I wrote some music for a couple other shows. And then we actually did White People Drinking at Three Clubs last year. Oh. We ran it for about six weeks, separate from Fringe, and then we let it sit for a while. And it was fascinating to watch the evolution of just the audiences. They're laughing at so many different things now, and they're laughing throughout. So it's nice to see that the audiences are a little more, I think they're a little more desensitized to some of the talking subjects. But we, we knew we had to do this for Fringe this year, not only because we felt the audiences were a little more welcoming to it, but we knew this year was going to pack a political punch. We knew this year was going to be the year that people were going to come out with their with their opinions and with their stories and, and with their struggles and more power to them. They should. So we wanted this palate cleanser. We wanted this show that had all the opinions that threw out everything in the air, but also satirized overdoing it. That also told people to to keep things in check. Never let your opinion for something dictate immediately how you treat people or how you see the world. Always keep an open mind. So we can sort of, yeah, like, like I said, cleanse that palate and give people a night of no right and wrong, just strong opinions with strong human characters. If we could give them that, then maybe they would approach their the, the next day differently. Maybe they approach, we've had some people say, man, I went home for Thanksgiving and I had these conversations with my parents, or I, I went home and I was talking to my friends about, um, you know, uh, gay rights or, or the, the um, abortion. But they were having these conversations. So if within a fringe, people can have those conversations, that's, that's, it's a cool community because artists are the ones who hold the torch, in my opinion. They're the ones that create the, the strongest dialogue within any community. Do you ever... Um, uh, so my, my next question would be, while, uh, while I, I, I love the idea of having shows like this and stuff like that, sometimes when you are in, in the fringe or, 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 creating, or creating art that's controversial, that can be controversial in a way, um, sometimes you can fall into the situation of oh, speaking to your, speaking to believers, speaking to the, the already initiated. Um, right. Does the, at, with your experience of the crowds and stuff like that, uh, is there? Do you do you worry that maybe this could be falling into that? You're creating a show that's kind of only being watched by the the, the people that have already kind of been converted in a way. Convert, and I'm not trying to say I'm trying to say converted in like the yeah, nicest yeah, yeah. way, as in like um, maybe learning they could learn something as opposed to someone that's listening to a show that all their beliefs are already they are all their beliefs are already there. It's like oh, I'm right, watching no, something I like. Yeah. No, yeah, that, that's a that's a good point. And that's why that's why we did it last year as well, because we were able to really see if it went too much into that territory. Because you never want to have a night where you've had everybody on the back. You know, you never want to have that night where everybody just feels validated for their own opinions. So because we did it last year, because we started to hear, wow, you guys really don't pick a side. You just tell it like it is. You just throw it out there. That really gave us the courage to to know that the audiences at the end of the day were going to respond to honesty. And that's also been my firm belief. No matter what it is, if you're honest about it, the right people are going to react and engage, right? If you're honest about this side's opinions, and if you're really honest about that side's opinions, 
you're not going to lose many people because if people are just watching a slice of life, there's not many opinions they can they can really dive into. We we haven't had because I've always been worried about that, especially with the title. I've always been worried about people coming in and going. You can't say that, or you can't do that, or you don't know anything about that experience. But it's been the opposite. We've had Republicans say, I'm really glad you guys went that way with this. We've had Democrats go, it's nice to hear that side. We've had super religious people have at length conversations about, hey, you know what, maybe as friends, we all, we all need to sit down and have more conversations about religion within a, within a friend group or religion within a society. Um, and we've had people who weren't religious at all go, you know, I'm glad that you showed that character and that you showed their backstory as to why they made that decision because I never would have saw somebody like that. You know, the irony is that we're all characters, but we're showing how archetypes and characters can really create opinions based off of people. Like if I see a blonde girl walking down the street to immediately think that this person is dipsy or immediately think that that person doesn't have a insane backstory makes me the flawed person. It makes me somebody who is judgmental. So you see all these characters and you go, man, I, I, I'm 90% of the time probably going to be wrong about somebody on my first judgment. I think that really allows everyone in the room to feel in a way safe, Republican, Christian, Democrat, Jewish, they just feel like, all right, we're all out here now. We're all naked. And that's what it should be. At the end of the show, that you get to the point where everything is not literally, but every, you know, emotionally, everything is stripped away, and then the audience gets to go. Okay, now what? Now where? Where from here do I go? Who do I talk to now? And then how do I look at that person? And then was I was I wrong? And might I be wrong in the future about instant judgment? <laughs> so not a little long, but I. <laughs> <laughs> so this this show it sound uh. It's, it's it had such heavy topics and 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 the audience sounds pretty engaged. I'm wondering, do you guys actually have a Q and A? This seems like the perfect show to have a Q and A. And if you've had one, um, how heated has that happened? Have, do you guys have a Q and A for a show like this? Is it possible oh, in the yeah, fringe? We, we have absolutely been dying to do that, and I know we we didn't want to really with fringe just because we really wanted to respect the the time constraints. And yeah, I know about this. Yeah. yeah, and people. You know, people always have other shows to get to, so we wanted to respect that. Um, but moving forward in the future, if we continue to either extend the show or keep it at this venue or, or take it somewhere else, that's going to be one of our main things, is to have the conversation after. We love to read clowns because the people who are drinking throughout the show, they are a little bit more immersed in how drunk the characters are, so it's fun. And that would actually be the most validating thing for us as an entire team is to have a couple of drinks and sit down with the entire audience that just talks through all of this stuff. In our programs, we actually list out some taboo talking subjects that take place in the show. Yeah. So our goal right now is that people do the drive home and go, well, you know what, let's talk about that, honey. Or like, hey, I'm going to call my friend and talk about this. We hope that they're doing that. But yes, the main goal is always going to be to to have conversations. That's why the the title, White People Drinking, the, convers the, I mean, the controversial comedy, we wanted that to be up there. We wanted people to know they were coming into a situation where, all right, things are going to be a little different. How is the, how is the, uh, was the director chosen um, to, to actually, that, that chose to direct this? Like, is it the same director from pre the previous show or did he change directors? And if you did change directors, I'm curious how the show changed with the different directors, if that happened. 
No, that, I love that question. Well, our first director um, was Cassandra Noel, um, who was one of the staples within Zoo Theater. She actually moved to New York, but what she did is she wanted to really amp up the archetypes, really amp up the facades of every character. Yeah. And we actually filmed it last March, and um, cast is in New York now. So Max Lipstick, who was our director now, he helped with the film, and then he helped with some of the rehearsal process, and he really wanted to dissect the more human element to where every character was coming from. So because these actors have also had the material for a year, we would have long conversations about monologues, some entire rehearsals dedicated to one actor, and we would just sit with them and work out with them routinely. And because they started to connect all the dots, that was really fun for us to play around, especially with Max, play around with every person coming from a very human place. Because we're all playing the game. The whole going to a dinner party, most interactions, there are a series of games. You gotta make the right choice, you gotta say the right thing, you don't wanna be too awkward. So we're all playing the game. So we all dress up in colors that are tiered to our placements, which are tiered to a certain game like Candyland or, or Twister or something. So within that, because that's the visual people interact with, Max wanted to make sure that the human elements were there. And it really helped because, especially for six actors, to be yelling at each other and to be swearing and to be somewhat racist back and forth and to be judgmental, some of the rehearsals, you know, would tend to get emotional and hard. And so we always had to keep safety and security at the forefront of, of, of these dialogues. And that helped us monitor and it helped us keep the audience on page, and it's nice because a lot of what cast did, the original direction, blocking-wise, let the audience know that this was a game, it was a surrealist play, right? It, you know, there's no danger, there's no true danger to what we're saying, so blending those two actually worked out to be really, really nice. So surrealism is a part of this play, you have a little surrealism going on, like, uh, like when you say surrealism, I mean, what can... The theater goer expect like what 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 is this Louise Bunelli kind of like surreal like surrealism what kind of surrealism are we talking about? <laughs> I, I well especially when Cassandra was directing surrealism in the sense that you know when you go to a dinner party and somebody cracks a terrible joke and there's this burst of laughter for you know an awkward amount of time yeah. right and there are these very awkward pauses and these people overcompensating their characters and when people get too drunk and they try to hide it so. It became this surrealist, almost like haunting feeling to, uh, somebody said um, in a review that it was like Virginia Woolf meets Get Out. So you're, you're combining this Virginia Woolf, which is one of the pinnacle games between two characters. What a compliment. Wow. When we, were, when, when we read that on, on the fringe site, we were like, oh, geez, this is too much. We were, we were beyond <laughs> the mood. Yeah. But then that, that also, that, yeah, to the surrealist comment, that's when we were like, okay, so people are really locking into to how absurd it is. And then when people started to say the things that we were all saying, they were like, okay, this is kind of surreal because people don't say these things. You know, people don't ever say this at parties. People don't act this way, especially the way that the billionaires interact with people. They're so dry and they're so coarse. But because the other two couples needed something from them, it's surreal to watch them not stand up for themselves, completely act like pawns. They, they just act to, to their goal, to success or to fame or to getting money. They are sort of, they're imprisoned by that. You know, and we wanted to show the audience that, that 
how how much of yourself is it worth to to completely delete you know from your everyday life to get what you think you want right so dan thank you for coming on and talking to me man that was real it was a really interesting talk i felt like i learned a lot man i really uh i really would i don't know please tell our audience um what are the remaining shows if they can even get in i don't know i don't know how your show how well your show is doing hopefully it's doing well it sounds crazy interesting um let us know what, what what's the rest of the shows and will will it continue after the fringe maybe of course yeah we our last show is friday june 22nd at 4 30 and so far we've got a pretty good crowd uh size house for that works getting out so definitely um instagram message us or hollywood fringe message us for tickets We've seen Julie and I together have seen about like 40 shows so far. So we're trying to get out to as many as we can. Um, and after, if we get extended, I'm pretty sure all the actors would be 100% down. We also filmed a version in March. So we're looking forward to adding that to some um, fall festivals. But yes, we are more than happy to extend. And we feel really, really, really grateful for the people who have already come out and the people who are writing reviews. And the people who are listening, it really, really means the world. Wow. So you actually filmed it. You made a movie version of this, is what you're saying. We did, yes. We, we have a wonderful house um, up in Topanga. We filmed there for three weekends. And because the actors are already off book, we set up some shots. We did some fun things visually, but we, we really just wanted to film the words. We wanted to film the actors. I mean, these actors are tops. They're so tops. But just getting them on film or on stage is, has been a blessing for us. That's fantastic, man. This day and age, though, you can have a you can you can mesh the two worlds together. You can mesh plays, you can mesh film together, and 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 put up both stories. It's amazing that you can these days because it's so much cheaper that you can pull that off. I mean, just think, maybe just fifty years ago, that that would have been ridiculous. Oh, I did a play, I did a play. No one's saying I'm going to do a play, and also I'm going to make it into a movie as well, like that. Well, I'm sure it's not like that. I'm sure it was a lot more complicated than that, but. A lot more difficult maybe 50 years ago to do something oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah we're very lucky. We, we know the best people. Nice.